Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Real Blend, a podcast that is 48 hours away from finally seeing Solo, a Star Wars story. Well, most of us are anyway. Uh, Two out of the three, which I'll take. Um, Real Blend is actually a weekly entertainment podcast that is part of Cinema Blend's growing network of podcasts. We air live here on Cinema Blend's Facebook page, so hello if you happen to be watching us on that stream. We can be downloaded on all of the major podcast platforms, and we have a Twitter page, which I keep saying I'm going to mention at the top of the show, and I'm finally remembering to do that. So please go follow at RealBlend, R-E-E-L-B-L-E-N-D, if you have a Twitter account. And we have hosts. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, and I'm delighted to be joined each week by the incredibly talented and knowledgeable Jake Hamilton, entertainment reporter for Fox 32 in Chicago. Wow. Jake, hello. You know, every <laughs> week I look forward to seeing how you're going to introduce me, and you just keep topping yourself. I wait. I look forward for the week where you're just like, yeah, Jake's here. <laughs> Jake's I'm going to run out of adjectives sooner or later. Uh, Jake, we're not alone. The man who loves Taco Bell slightly more than he loves his Real Blend co-hosts is also with <laughs> us, Kevin McCarthy. Of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, how are you, sir? Yeah, I think our audience needs to understand that Jake writes his own introductions. So, that, that, <laughs> that, 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 I mean, if you notice, I got Taco Bell and Jake got incredibly talented. And uh, so, just know what I'm Well, maybe you should that. write that. That's, that's nothing to do with me. <laughs> am I lying, though, Kevin? Am I am I exaggerating or no? No, no, I do, I do love Taco Bell. You really do love it. This is our big <laughs> summer movie preview. This is episode number 20, guys. Is it? Episode 20. This is a big special one. That's why we're going to talk about John Williams, uh, who is Jake's new best friend. And it is also our summer movie preview, as I mentioned, which is very strange, seeing as how Infinity War kicked off the season um, almost two weeks ago now at this point. Because, I don't know, the summer movie season feels like it lasts all year round when you have big February releases and... April, March releases, and and now May is coming around, and it feels like summer has already begun. So um, we will talk about three movies that we uh, most anticipated films. We will actually mention our least anticipated film, and then we're going to dive a little bit deep and pull some indies and uh, get you guys excited for some things that are coming to theaters. But first, we do news, because that's what we normally do. News to begin, and we need a theme song of some sort for that. Um, I want to talk to you guys about... Some uh, story that has dominated our website coverage, which is Avengers 4 titles. Um, Do either of you give a damn what the title of Avengers 4 is? I mean, it'll be fun whenever it comes out, but I'm not sitting here like, you know, I'm not that guy that's got like 18 different pictures on his wall with like yarn connecting between all the different pictures trying to figure it out. Like, it's just sort of like... It'll come out when it comes out. I'm, you know, it, uh, we've got tons of other things to worry about. Let's let's digest this one before we start bugging them about four. Yeah, Kevin, you- I, fe- I feel like I only care about it because everyone else is talking about it so much on my Twitter feed about different names and like the the uh, Russos were in my, in my studio last week and um, they were, I mean, they were incredible. We did like, eight minutes on the air and eight minutes off the air and the eight minutes off the air. Uh, they said this this title's been locked for a long time, and this this is uh, you know this is pretty early on. They decided to break it up and uh, not call it Infinity War Part One, Part Two. The title the title seems pretty uh, pretty specific uh, to what's happening, and also a lot of the things that uh, are I'm interested in finding out is whether or not certain things in, in Infinity War are going to play a huge part or a role in the second in the fourth one. Uh, specifically the number 17. That's that, that's what I'm waiting to find out if, if that number has anything to do with what's going to happen in this in the in, in part 4. So we'll see. Okay, you asked them about that. What was their answer to that? Did they give you uh, an answer? 
Yeah, so if, if uh, and I guess I should preface this by saying spoiler. Uh, sure. That, I don't yeah. know. That, actually, I, I can keep it. I can keep it vague. Uh, okay. There are two moments in the film where the number seventeen comes up in very important moments in the movie. So if you look at the uh, uh, Tony Stark calls for the number seventeen at some point in the beginning that deals with Spider Man, and mm-hmm. then Black Panther uses the number seventeen for a very important action sequence that happens in Wakanda. So. They said that it's either going to be the most important thing that happens Ooh. in Avengers Four, or the or just the writer's favorite number. Uh, so it, 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 they have. I mean, I don't know if it's going to mean anything, but I have no idea why. Like it would have been, it would have been funny if it was the seventeenth film in the MCU, but right. it's, it was the nineteenth film, so it doesn't really make much sense. Uh, so I don't know where that why that number came up a couple times, and then obviously the Steve Rogers phone number, which didn't have seventeen in it. That's another whole interesting thing. So I don't know. We'll see. Mm. I like it. Um, yeah, I think we're putting a lot of stock into what this title is. It's become a thing with the with the Star Wars sequels also. Like, whatever the subtitle ends up being, you know, they tell you it's The Last Jedi, and then you spend months speculating what that could potentially be. I am kind of excited to find out what Episode Nine ends up becoming called, since it's going to be the culmination of this new trilogy. But I also feel like it's going to be a huge misdirect, because J.J.'s back in charge. Jake, do you have any theories about what Episode Nine might be called, or does it matter? I think episode nine uh, will probably call, be called something along the lines of like, hey, we're just trying to fix what Ryan Johnson did in episode eight. I don't know if they can fit that in the, but uh, the one where we yeah. put it back on course. Yeah, or forget Jedi, or like forget the last Jedi. <laughs> no joke, or, dude. I rewatched Force Awakens last night to gear up. I've, I've been watching so all good. the. It's so good. I've been watching all the all the um, Star Wars movies that have Harrison Ford in them to get ready for for our interviews this week. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's in a different league than Last Jedi, man. Like, oh, yeah. or even, even like my, my fiance, who's not even like a big Star Wars fan. I mean, she's kind of gotten into it because of me. Uh, even like she stopped at one point and turned around and goes, this movie's really good. And I was like, I know I would never casually just put on Last Jedi. I couldn't, I could not just casually sit and watch that movie. I don't know why they're just not capitalizing and call it Force Awoke. Like, you know, <laughs> every, you know we hear we say people say, stay woke. They could say they Force woke. Awoke. That, I think that would be, like, perfect. And then Avengers titles, they they would be completely missing the, the boat if they didn't call it To Infinity and Beyond. I don't know why. They, it's <laughs> Disney. It ties, it, it, tie, it ties in Toy Story. I, I just don't know why they wouldn't do that. I mean, I feel like it makes... But honestly, the best title I've seen from anybody who's been making guesses is Avengers Assemble. I think that's, I think that's yeah, perfect. Yeah, but isn't, isn't that what the first one was called? Uh, in the UK, because there was already like the the British Avengers, so they had to. So was there? The, I think the first Avengers was called Avengers Assemble in the UK, so I don't think they could do that. Didn't I? I yeah, I saw a tweet that said that basically that someone, the closest person that someone came to the title was someone said Avengers Forever, and the Russo said that that was the closest to what it might. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that means. Which worked out pretty well for everyone. <laughs> but didn't Kevin Feige know. say like it was either Kevin Feige or maybe it was the Rousseau brothers who said they were all spending too much time trying to figure out what it's going to be called and when it comes out we're all going to be disappointed because we've all put so much stock and time into it and it's going to come out and I think it's going to be something really simple and basic but the Russos told me that the title is spoilery that's why that that's where it gets a little interesting. So when at the junket, I asked them if what you know what the title what I can't remember how I worded it, but they said the reason we haven't released it is because it it spoils what happens in Infinity War. Avengers so Four. Does, I don't feel so good. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, I have no or idea. Avengers Four. Dad. For those of you who <laughs> know what I'm talking about. 
the Groot thing. But, but if that is, we have to get into that, by the way. Uh, but I do want to say one thing about um, uh, titles. Why did Deadpool miss the greatest title opportunity in the history of titles? And just the untitled Deadpool sequel? Right! The that untitled been... Deadpool sequel is the greatest possible title for a I movie. I have to be that... honest, I'm not even sure what it's called. Because I've seen Deadpool DT2. 2 now. I've seen Deadpool. Uh, it is, so it is, in fact, Deadpool 2. Yeah. It's officially funny. Deadpool 2. I just don't get why they just didn't do the untitled Deadpool sequel. <laughs> that would have been really funny. Yeah. It's so perfect. But yeah. is it funny to us? What what is it? Because like we know that's how it works. <laughs> in the, but like I, I don't know if like an audience would be like, I could you imagine? So. I, I think the audience has sort of realizes what kind of movie that is. And I think that they would have right. gone along with it. I mean, one so it, from a from an editing standpoint, who from a, someone who runs a website, I can tell you that, like, for Google search purposes and tags, like that would be <laughs> the most <laughs> horrific thing to ever have to. I mean, anytime that we have um, like a a title in place that's just holding it there, like the Mission Impossible ones, drive me nuts because there's a colon involved in Mission Impossible, and then there's always some sort of dash, and there's a number, and then they always introduce some others. Like now it's Rogue Nation. Or, no, um, I'm sorry, Fallout. Fallout. So, yeah, those are nightmares. Um, I want to jump to solo sequels since you guys are getting ready. So the boys are going out to LA to do uh, the solo premiere and the junket. And as part of the run up to this, Ron Howard was asked on Twitter in this Twitter conversation, like what would it take to have a, a sequel? And he basically said, look, if the fans show up to this one, you know, Disney casts young actors with the intention of doing more. Um, probably a hard one to answer until you guys have seen how this one plays. But I mean, are you guys prepared for multiple uh, Alden Einrich star, uh, Han Solo stories. Could you imagine they did some wacky bit where like the end of Han Solo Solo Star Wars story Thanos shows up and kills everyone <laughs> and then and then we, but we all, but we somehow already know that Solo's still alive because there's three other Star Wars movies with or four other ones with them and then eventually we're gonna have to find out how or how is Alden gonna promote the next one I don't know I, I, it's inter- interesting I don't know. I, I think they're showing it to us because they can't. Nothing can be really spoiled in this film, right? Um, though, I mean, again, Jake's more Star Wars knowledgeable than I am. Um, besides Lando and um, Han, who else continues? Chewie. Uh, I mean, Chewie. Chewie, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, it's, but, but it's but, also but, an element of like, you know, how much because there are certain aspects of his past that that were alluded to in the original trilogy. And so it really, in my opinion, whether or not it deserves two more movies is, did they dump everything that we know about his past into this movie? And I hope not, because that implies that everything that was important to him happened just within the matter of these, this two-hour movie. Like, if, you know, I know, obviously, I think we get the Kessel run in this movie. We get uh, him winning the Falcon. Mm-hmm. But maybe we don't get Jabba and Boba Fett. So maybe oh, that's what Han Solo 2 is oh. about. So maybe, mm-hmm. like, maybe... Uh, maybe this solo ends with him going to do some sort of deal with Jabba, which would like set up an, another one. As long as it doesn't allude to everything we know about Solo in this, as long as it doesn't just sort of kind of cash in all its chips, then then I'm open for it. Does but, the Amelia Clark character or the Woody Harrelson character ever get talked about or show up somehow with, at all in an Easter egg in, no, the, in the original trilogy? Not, not that I'm so aware that, of. That, that's, and, that's what I'm wondering yeah. is how they're going to handle that. That's, well, that, and that's I mean, one of the things I was going to ask that uh, that room because – well, no, that's a different room. But but uh, so I, I don't know if I could, we could say – but so one of the things I want to talk to about one of the characters that uh, is, is not in the original trilogy is to me it's far more interesting – 
to have a character that Han doesn't talk about later in life than a character that he does. Because if a character means something to him at some point in his life, mm-hmm. and then later on in life he doesn't talk about that person, why? Like, we know that, you know, like, he ends up bringing up Lando, and we end up, obviously, be, you know, Chewie stays a part of his life. But right. who are these people that had an impact that he then goes on to ignore for the rest of his life? And that, to me, those, I mean, those are the questions I want answered. And what's interesting to me is, but how many, uh, I'm trying to remember, I'm running the trilogy through my mind right now. We don't, we never really had a ton of time with Han just delving into his life. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, like you know, because there's so much happening in Star Wars. Right. And, you know, we have the, the, we have the relationship, we have whatever's going on, there's multiple stories, you know, we have the Luke character, we have everything going on. So I don't think we ever really, you know, let, sat in a therapy session with Han Solo and kind of delved into his life, which I think kind of is kind of what these movies are meant to be. And that's kind of what I'm interested in as well, just the idea of like who these people are. Why don't we know who they are? There's a reason for that. I mean, the Rogue One characters, did they, did, is there ever a mention? I mean, I know, I know there's a mention of what they did, but is there, did we ever, not, did not we ever get specifically. into... Not specifically. The only thing it really not says detailed. is... Not detail. Yeah. Uh, right. Just a line, line from the crawl, right? A line yeah. from the crawl, yeah. essentially. And there's right. one like, line... We don't, we don't know who Jin was before the movie. No, we didn't no. know but, that, I mean, right? George yeah, Lucas exactly. didn't know who Jin was. There's one line, though, in the original, and I just rewatched A New Hope, that I, I want to bring up to, uh, to Ron Howard, because I think it really limits what they can show Han Solo doing. And it's whenever uh, Ben is teaching Luke about the ways of the Force, and he's got his blindfold on, and he's, you know, he's kind of doing the training thing on the Falcon. And Han says, I've never seen anything that made me believe in some all-powerful Force. And I thought that line was very, almost restricting for Ron Howard, because it means that in all of the movies, Han is not allowed to see anything that can make him believe in the Force. So I thought wow. that was a very I thought that was an interesting line that that I'm going to bring up to Ron Howard a little bit later this week is like how limiting that one line is. But how much I don't is the force a massive part of this movie? Like I I, 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 I don't, don't think feel so. like I don't, I don't think, think so, the Jedi I don't think Jedi is a massive I don't I, this That's is what I'm like, saying. he he couldn't have had like at no point in his life do I think it doesn't make sense for him to have had to any run-ins with Jedi's before. Yeah, Luke. actually, well, if it takes well, place well, after the prequels and before New Hope, aren't the Jedi kind of like in yeah? Hiding? But That's this true. story, yeah. this story, like, are we going to see stormtroopers in this film? Like, I mean, like, I, mean, I wonder, you see like, Tie Fighters. Yeah. What did you say? You see Tie Fighters, and and he, no, I know, he, I know, he yeah. references like the Empire in a New Hope. Like, the Empire is very much an issue that he's had to deal right. with. But right. and also I, Chewbacca's had. Quite a bit of it, like he, Chewbacca is in Revenge of the Sith, and Yoda mentions him by name. So Chewbacca's had his own fair share of adventures. One hundred ninety years old. He looks great. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is gonna play. I think this is gonna kind of play like Black Panther. And what I, mean, what I mean by that is it's it's going to be a side story of his life. Like I, I don't think it's gonna be. I, again, I don't know much about this element of Han Solo, but I don't. I think it, I think the whole heist element of the whole job element of it is going to be like the main storyline. Then we're going to get elements of Han throughout it. But I, I think a lot of people know this, and I think Jake feels the same way. I, I, I'm more interested in the Lando side of it than I am the Han side of it, um, mainly because I don't know a ton about Lando. I mean, like I feel like. Han is more ingrained in our psyche as as movie fans and Star Wars. I don't know if you guys agree, but like Lando, oh, yeah. Lando is definitely a, a a more minor character that I'm that I'm interested to see what Donald kind of what which, he which, gives me. Yeah, and also what, he, like, what, he is, what, has what more is Donald too? Right, like, well, yeah, exactly. What's Donald gonna give us about Lando? Like, I don't know. I'm a little worried about as you mentioned, Jake, the limitation of it. Like in regards to what can Alden really give us. 
from Han Solo that is, but it also he has to make a lot of it has to connect somehow to the Han we know in these movies. So yeah. I think the it's interesting about the characters who aren't in the uh, original trilogy and how much freedom they might have. All it's right. interesting. I want to jump because um, you guys mentioned Donald Glover and we've been in our text chain uh, talking about his new video. And I just, I mean, we have a platform. I want to hear you guys talk about it. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I watched this video and I understand. From an artistic point of view, like a lot of stuff that he's trying to do, but you two were, were blown away by this video, and I want you guys to just have take a moment to elaborate on on what it meant to you guys, what it like it, it's, and and what the chance to, to be able, Jake, you said it at one point, you were like, I, if I'm getting a chance to sit down with Donald Glover like days after he dropped this really important piece of cinema, it's cinema to me, it's a it's a piece of cinema, you know, what do you want to ask him about it? What are some important topics that you wanted to dive into with him? Uh, you know, so I think that the question that I'm probably going to end up, and I hope no other chunk of people are listening to this, because I, I feel like I've given away half of my chunk of questions. <laughs> Kevin's taking <laughs> but, notes. But, you know, so there, there, there's so much symbolism in uh, in that video, and there's so there have been so many think pieces about what everything in that video means. And I think I kind of, and, and I, he hasn't really spoken out about the video at all. Granted, it only came out a few days ago. But I think my question for him is just going to be, how much is he willing to tell us what he meant with everything? Is, it, is, is he just going to put it out there and say, that's on you, you guys figure it out? Does he want to give us time to sort of digest it and then we can have a discussion about it? Or is he ready to sit down and start talking about it now? I think because – and he said, he's such a hard guy to read in terms – I'm not, I'm not really sure what to expect going in, on, uh, in an interview with him. So I think just because I don't know how he's going to respond about the video, I'm just going to straight up ask him – how much he's willing to talk about the symbolism and the interpretation of things. Kevin, how are you going to tackle it? Yeah, I'm still working on that. I, I'm I'm really kind of, uh, I'm a big hip-hop fan, so I'm really, I've been listening to a lot of Childish Gambino recently, and um, I really kind of want to delve into just hip-hop in general with him. Uh, that video, I think it's going to be a, uh, an element that's also discussed within my hip-hop discussion about him, with him. Uh, and I, I texted you guys about the um, the name, and I, I want to get into that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if people. Re- I mean, I mean, you, I I didn't know this until recently that his rap name came from a Wu Tang generator, which is kind I didn't of know really that. cool. I had no idea. Um, That's so cool. It's yeah. super. Producer Gabe yeah. is nodding. Producer yeah, Gabe knows yeah, all. Yeah, he <laughs> threw his name into a, a Wu Tang generator, so I kind of wanted to play around with the other Star Wars characters and what they what their Wu Tang name would be, like Lando's Wu Tang name, and like. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna play around with stuff, but the video itself, um, I think my first reaction was shock because initially when the video starts and you see him shoot that guy in the head and then give the gun away and then like I think the, the shooting of the choir was very hard to watch clearly. Yeah. Uh, until you start to really gather what's happening in the video or what the point of the video being that you know this is America and just kind of the whole concept of what he's doing that he's doing this wacky like dances and these funny faces while this chaos is happening behind him. The faces um, are the ones that really stand out to me. Like he's making yeah. these very deliberate comical faces at hundred percent well, at that, specific I, times. I, yeah. The, the way I took it was it's almost uh, a commentary on our news cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I like, and I, I almost Ooh. feel like how we, and that's just the way I took it initially. And maybe I'm, I could be wrong. But the idea that something crazy happens and we just move on. Yeah, like, that's pretty spot on, Kevin. That's a good read. But but if you think about our news cycles, when a shooting happens, and I don't want to get too political, but when something happens, our news cycle is so fast uh, with everything happening that we it, it, it 
stuff gets buried and, and forgotten, not forgotten, but it's like it, we move past it. Like the, the Met Gala happens. That's the top story. And then, and then, and then whatever's new and fresh happens. And I feel like, you know, it's interesting because when, when something horrific happens in the news, something like the Parkland shooting or the um, Vegas shooting, mm. those are like massive stories at the moment. Right. But think about where we are now and how far we've moved past that. And I think, I don't know, that's the way I took it. I took the video as a commentary on how we just continue moving on and nothing has really been done. Yeah. And also the, the fact that we're able to move on. I mean, to, to me, the reason that his his dancing was so much in the forefront, because to me it's more about what's going on in the background of the video. There's all mm-hmm. kind of chaos and riots and violence going on behind him. But we're getting yep. this like fun, energetic dancing in the forefront. To me, this idea that, we're sort of distracted by what's really going on in the world by sort of things that don't really matter, things that are just kind of fun and flashy and kind of divert our attention from the real matters. And also, go back and watch the video and, and, and sort of look at how guns are handled in the video. When he shoots somebody, he turns around and gives the gun, to, very carefully hands it to someone who has like this red piece of velvet, and he put it, kind of right. puts the gun back, and the bodies are just either left there in the case of the, of the church choir or in the case of the guitarist, just drug away with with no care, as opposed to the guns are always handled with with such care. What I, I think that's I think I don't think there's a shot or a move or or, or uh, any action that takes place in the four minutes of that music video that wasn't thought out. And obviously, Kevin, I know I know you're you're now into Atlanta. It's one of my favorite shows on television. He works with this director a lot, who is absolutely brilliant. I guarantee you, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in in this in the discussions that they had leading up to the shooting of that video, because right. you know that, sure. that they sat down and, and just thought out each. I, gr- I agree with you, Sean, one hundred percent. It is a it's a it's a piece of art. It is a piece of cinema. It's incredible to watch, like specifically the way they handle the uh, the long takes of action and just the uh, the way they cut in between scenes. I mean, clearly there's stitching involved in regards to editing, but um, it's very uh, in your face, very impactful. Um, I read a tweet uh, when the video came out about the idea of just when you watch the video next time, don't look at him. Um, and I kind of going with what Jake was just saying, literally watch everything else except for him. Uh, and I think what J- Jake was in the point we were just talking about, the idea of the news cycle uh, is, yeah, the, the, the next thing or the next flashy thing will just take your mind off of the real <laughs> problems that are happening behind the scenes, which honestly is what happens when you watch it think about it for a second like that 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 is literally what happens when you watch the video uh like like something horrific happens and then immediately your brain your brain goes to him dancing and doing weird faces and you almost forget what just occurred with a, ch- a church choir being shot up and then and then it hits you again and boom it's almost as if the news cycle element is happening in real time with the video it's kind of fascinating. Well, and it's and so. someone tweeted this also. They said, "Can you imagine if playing Lando Calrissian in a Star Wars movie is like the third coolest thing you end up doing yeah. in a calendar <laughs> no year?" Yeah. <laughs> and no it's job. very or possible. In a calendar between, week. Yeah, between Atlanta and this, that might be Donald Glover's life. Um, we what, are I, gonna, what I love about him, by the way, is if you listen to his albums, um, uh, he's a obviously a huge movie fan. Uh, everything he ever references, and I mean, like everything from Jeff Goldblum and The Fly to I, I, he, just the metaphors he uses for his raps are really good. I don't know if you guys are hip, huge hip hop guys, but I he's um, coming through Chicago in September. He's one of the best. He's one of the greatest, like working today. I mean, like my favorite current rapper is Kendrick, but he's uh, that video was on par with what I think Kendrick did with DNA. 
uh, which was a Don Cheadle video that he did. I think this video is more powerful, but they're both equally in regards to speaking on, on very important topics while also entertaining. It's interesting. More than anything, I'm just praying for your guys' sake that he's cool. I hope he's cool to you guys. I really do. I do too. I, I, do I want too. that text message so badly that, that it went well and, and everything went well. He's so. fine. I've met him before. He's super nice. He just, he just, he, he reminds me of a comedian. Like, and, and Jake can attest to this too. You meet a lot of comedians. He's actually a very respectful Good guy, gives great answers in the interviews, but he's not, and from my experience with him, he's just very chill. Yeah. And that's totally fine. But again, as Jake knows, when we do these interviews, and, and like you, you want electricity in the room, uh, and sometimes you can't get that. I mean, like, like you sit down with like a Tina Fey or a Will Ferrell, and these the, the hilarious people in real life, but they're very reserved and chill in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the only person I felt like it was ever truly on 24-7 was Robin Williams. Robin Williams, and like, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, every moment of every interview with him was as if you were in a scene in Mrs. Doubtfire or uh, whatever it was, um, which is also scary to think about how much he was hiding mentally. So yeah. that that's where that's where it gets interesting. So I think a lot of these people, can they think they have to be on all the time, and some people just want to be chill, and I think... Glover is one of those guys. I don't. I don't. I mean, I'm not comparing him to Robin Williams, but it's just it's just an interesting dynamic when you meet somebody that talented. They're usually pretty. Jared Leto is the same way. I, I put Jared Leto and Glover on the same playing field. Brilliant musicians, brilliant actors, just super sickly talented people. Next week we will get into what the guys learned at the Star Wars junket um, at Solo, yeah. and we'll be able to talk about. We will give our um, reviews of Solo because uh, oh no, maybe not even yet. No, maybe not. I think we can socially react to it after the premiere's over, Jay. Can't we? Yeah. Yeah, we can right. socially react to it, but they're also lifting the embargo fairly early, like ten days. I think it's like it is even before early. Deadpool comes out, which which gives me a little bit of hope. Well, and next week is Deadpool, um, so let's dive into our summer movie preview because we have a lot of really good things to talk about. Um, each of us are gonna uh, we each picked three most anticipated movies of the summer. Uh, we're gonna just list them right now, and then we'll sort of backtrack and talk about why we uh, picked them. So I'll go first. And I'm going to just say that I knew that one of the other guys was going to pick uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. So I stayed away from it. And um, I went with Ocean's 8. which and, and really, everything about that marketing is what's convinced me that it's going to be a lot more fun than we anticipated. Um, I thought that that cast looked great beforehand. Um, but everything I'm seeing from them is fantastic. I'll explain more why in a minute. Um, number two, I went with The Meg. Again, marketing has totally <laughs> sold me on the fact that that movie is going to get serious one. ass. And number three, I'm going with... I'm mi- very excited about this. Um, number three, I'm going with Mile 22. Uh, and that's primarily because I got to go to the set of Peter Berg's movie and see what he's filming. And I think that the setup for that movie sounds super intense and really great. And I'll elaborate more in a minute. Kevin, what are your three most anticipated movies of the summer? Yeah, I mean, in no particular order, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, no question. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, love the first Ant-Man. We've been on record talking about that on the show a lot. Love that movie. Can't wait for it. Love the, the just the, the idea of the way they play with action in that film. The trailers have been incredible, and I'm very excited about Evangeline Lilly. Um, all right, listing these. Mission Impossible, Fallout, yes. uh, no question. Looks amazing. And then Deadpool 2. Um, I guess that's considered summer, right? May 18th. Oh, yeah. Uh, so... I'm going to go with those three. Deadpool was your number one the year it came out. Is that right? <clears throat> yeah, it was. And I, and I will say uh, it's a testament to how great this year is that Deadpool 2 wasn't my most anticipated movie of the year. I saw, De- I saw Deadpool 1 nine times, so I, I was obsessed with it. It was my number one of 2016. I thought it should have been nominated for Best Picture. You were the uh, busiest was- person I've ever met in my life. How do you have time <laughs> to see anything nine times? 
<laughs> I honestly have, I think I have a bit of an issue. Like when a movie comes out and it's really good, I can't stop myself from going to a theater and watching it multiple times. Like true. Infinity War, Ready Player One, there's just something special about that that I know that we won't ever get to get again uh, once it goes to Blu-ray or DVD or um, I just love seeing it in a, with a, in a theater. Um, but Ready Player One was my most, most anticipated movie of the year and uh, Deadpool 2 was right up there. But yeah, it's been a heck of a year so far. All right, Jake, what are your three? Uh, Solo uh, was my number one. Uh, right. I just, you know, I know we're not going to get super into it right now. Um, Mission Impossible Fallout was my number two and uh, Hereditary was my number three. All right, that trailer creeps me out. Dude, yeah. that <laughs> freaks me out uh, a lot. And I know that we're getting a screening of it very soon. Let's start with um, going over these and elaborating a little bit more to get you guys excited for them. Let's start with Mission Impossible, um, a film that we've talked about on the podcast a couple of times. Um, it, but it's a movie that, it, honestly, I just didn't pick it because I knew that you guys would. Um, yeah. We love we love this franchise and we love Cruise. We did Cruise Blend. And talked about how much we love him as an action star. It's really just that this franchise um, delivers time and time again, right? I mean, like, f- I, they haven't necessarily had a serious misstep. People knocked the second one, but even John Woo directing Tom I Cruise like in the, the next one was for fine. what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I like the second one, too. And then from three uh, till now, they've been on this incredible hot streak. But you know what's funny? I, and I'm curious as to if you guys feel the same way or if I'm alone on this one. I always love them whenever they come out. I see it in theaters. I'm like, God, what a ride. And then I never really see them again. Like, they're, they're not movies that I have a history of revisiting or making a point to buy on Blu-ray. I think I, I, think I have Ghost Protocol because it was sent to me. They're, they're just movies that come out. And, 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 and same thing. I, I know I'm going to love Fallout. But I'm sure I'm going to see it. And then I'm going to kind of just go on with my life. And I don't know why that is. It's, this came it's, it's, this came in the mail and it made me so happy because you're uh, right. I don't have them all and the five previous landed on Blu-ray and they sent me this set and it's that's just That's pretty sweet. But but, I saw, but I, it's I, not I saw, open. I haven't opened yeah. it. Yet. Like I mean, do you guys rewatch them often? Yeah, I saw Ghost Protocol like five times in the year. Oh, Jesus Only, Christ. Oh, but, oh, but it, because it was 70 millimeter <laughs> IMAX and I've never seen anything. I mean, the the 70 mil IMAX experience of that movie on like a seven or eight story IMAX screen when he goes outside of the Burj Khalif is one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had. Rogue Nation I saw a bunch of times because I just wanted to see people's reactions to the plane shot. Right. Um, people still don't think he really did that, which is like insane. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't find myself... Actually, I rewatch three often. Uh, not often, but like that's... I'll put three on. I love three. I don't like one. I do not like Mission Impossible 1. Um, I like one's a slow three, burn. four, and five. Yeah, yeah pacing well, I don't of like one. Pacing of its strange. You yeah. know, they're on they're on one of the cable channels all the time, like TNT or TBS or one of those ones. And and if was one De Palma, yeah, yeah. it's Brian De Palma. So if a good <sighs> sequence crazy. is coming up, I'll usually stop and watch it for a little while. Especially there's that sequence in the middle of Rogue Nation, which begins with him having to um, infiltrate that one area, go underneath the water, switch out the cards. He essentially dies, gets revived, yeah. uh, races with Simon Pegg, transitions to a motorcycle. Like Macquarie is so incredible with staging his action. And I know that he feels um, the need to top himself. And I can't quite see how Fallout is going to do that. But we will find out in July how they're able to. Do it. I think the addition of Henry Cavill to that franchise, too, is going to be really, really special. I think Cavill's great. And I think that the idea that he had to be Superman is sort of 
weighed him down a little bit because I think he can be a lot of fun in other franchises. Yeah. Man from Uncle sort of showed that, and I think this, I think Fallout's going to show that too. Um, let's talk about Deadpool two because we're going to get to see it uh, pretty soon, and I think we're getting. I mean, I'm seeing it on Thursday. That's a week before. It opens, uh, the embargo is lifting early. These are usually really good signs. Um, have you guys talked to anybody who has seen it? Have you heard any additional buzz on it? What do you know? Uh, no. And I, in fact, we're not seeing it until a couple of days after everyone else, just because it conflicts with our, all of our star Wars stuff, which I know is champagne problems, but, um, (laughs) yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to just throw something out and then let Kevin take it from there. I like Deadpool quite a bit. I and it is, I don't love Deadpool. Um, and and I just rewatched the first one uh, two days ago just to kind of refresh my memory of things before going into Deadpool too. So I think like there are there are moments of one that are I genuinely think are truly great moments, but there are also moments where I'm kind of like looking at my watch and looking at my phone and kind of saying, all right, like what, what how long until like the next part that I like comes along? Mm-hmm. So I like I, it's one of those movies that I feel like I know I'm going to enjoy, but I don't know if I'm going to love and I would love to love it. Uh, but I don't think it takes itself too seriously. And so I have a hard time taking it too seriously, which I know like the little inside out anger person in Kevin's head right now is just going nuts. So no, I'm like, wait, Kevin. I, I wait, I want to add one thing to it. And then I want Kevin to definitely address this. I totally agree with that. I almost feel like with the sequel, something has to happen that I think contradicts what Deadpool is. I almost want them to raise the stakes a little bit to make me feel a little more like by introducing cable, I want them to make me care a bit more about these characters. But yet the idea of Deadpool is that you shouldn't take it seriously and you shouldn't care because it flies in the face of everything. That's like a traditional superhero movie. So I can't wait to sort of see how those two ideas play off of each other. I did not think you would agree with me. I, I thought I would be the lone guy waving me a little lay Miz flag in the back. No, no, no. I like Deadpool. I didn't, I, I didn't love it. Also. I liked it. But what you just said is exactly why I liked Deadpool. I, I love Deadpool. I, I thought that it did have an emotional connection and, and, and stakes and characters that I cared about. Like, I, I genuinely felt for him as he went through that cancer phase, and I felt for him in, in regards to not going back to her. And I know it sounds ridiculous to talk about emotional weight in a Deadpool film, but I think that Wernick and Reese, the writers, have struck a tone where you do care. Right. Um, and I think Deadpool... I don't know. I, I think a lot of my love for Deadpool had to do with what it meant to get an 11 year passion project done. Now, here's the thing. Uh, as I sat down for the first time seeing it, I didn't know a ton of the backstory, a ton of what happened, a ton of, you know, all that stuff. So my first experience with Deadpool was just pure, amazing enjoyment. Like I was so, it was one of the first movies I ever saw in a junket that I went back and saw the next night. Wow. I was so blown away by it. Like I saw it twice in the, in the same weekend of the junket because it was so... Uh, it just blew my mind. And do then, you like Ryan Reynolds' humor in general before? I, I do. Okay. I do. But my, the first movie I ever reviewed as a critic was a, was a film called Just Friends. Um, and I, I love Just Friends. Uh, I love Van Wilder. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I grew up on Van Wilder. Van Wilder was very funny to me as a kid. Uh, and it still makes me laugh. I think the whole Cal Penn thing is very funny. The but, one where he pees uh, in a fountain and switches bodies with Jason Bateman? What was that one called? Uh, the change-up? The switch? Or the, the switch? Yeah, that was, yeah I, I think that was the change-up. Okay. That was a strange phase for him. But, I mean, listen, he had some bad film. Green Lantern was terrible. Um, I, I thought that, you know, what was the movie? I like Buried. Buried was a really cool movie. Yeah. He, he has a really cool lineup. And I think Deadpool, 
But Deadpool, my, my love of the film, really secured itself in regards to multiple viewings, learning about the little things that, that where it had to be written and the budgetary problems they were on. I mean, to me, the thing about Deadpool... The beauty of that movie is the necessity of the mother is the mother of invention. Um, just the concept of writing things to get around issues you're having, and I think it, it plays into some of the biggest jokes in the film. Um, so it's almost mm. this weird thing where should a movie's quality be based on things that happen behind the scenes but deadpool makes those apparent in the movie that they didn't have enough money for x-men they didn't have enough money for uh the the gun shootout at the end i mean it's famously they they wrote the joke where they put he leaves the guns in the in the back of the cab because they couldn't afford a shootout i mean that and then you have this joke where he just calls the guy and says i forgot my guns and then then the guy gets into an accident and he goes into the whole thing with his swords i mean i don't know i I think that's just, just brilliant and i think uh it came out of a necessity of the idea of trying to make the scenes as great as possible. So Deadpool 2, yeah, it's weird because it's not my most anticipated movie of the year, oddly, because I was Ready Player One. I was, there was a lot coming out in Avengers Infinity War. Um, but I, I think it does strike a tone where I do care about it very much. And I think the action is very well done. And this filmmaker they brought on for two, David Leach, is just such an like, amazing guy who understands that audiences are not stupid and that they can understand action. We don't need to be tricked with edits and, cho- and cheap choreography. Uh, he comes from a stunt background, so I'm very excited to see what they do. And then Reynolds got a writing credit on the film, which Rhett Reese confirmed last night. That joke at the end of the trailer about the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, the joke about Blake Lively, was actually written by Ryan Reynolds. Which is, I mean, it makes sense. It's his wife. But, I mean, you never know who's writing this stuff. So right. I think Reynolds is just so into the character and to me, the marketing is some of the most fun stuff to watch. The Celine Dion video was brilliant. <laughs> was really um, funny. I mean, there was so many. I mean, it's is, really Is there well any done. aspect of that where, and I'm asking both of you guys this, where the novelty has sort of worn off? Because it was, I, a lot of this stuff, I was just, I'm with you. Like the first time it came out, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that like they're doing marketing like this. And I can't believe that he's saying lines like this. And I can't believe that they're addressing the fact that they couldn't afford more X-Men. But I feel like, one of the reasons I have a hard time loving that movie and even like rewatching it sometimes is that like the bit is a little bit worn off for me. Like, okay, like it was funny, but like how, and I, and I think that goes back to Sean's point. Like you gotta give me something more than like making fun jokes about how like the studio didn't give them any money or making jokes about Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Like I, I'm, I'm going to need a lot more out of two than, than what they gave us in one. Well, this, this is, I think, I believe this is a bigger budget. Um, and I think, that the from what I'm hearing online from people who are talking about the film a lot and is that Zazie Beats and, and and Cable are kind of like the the fan favorites of the movie from what I'm hearing I, I mean I heard Zazie Beats I mean if you look at the promo for the movie Zazie Beats is like She's has great. her own poster yeah uh, they 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 took an inherent vice type style poster and put her on it um, with character names I thought it was kind of funny so um, I think they're amping up the promo now because Infinity War is now not dying down but it's it's out and it's like it's it's we're moving past it in the news yeah. cycle sense. Um, but it, it, yeah, I, I'm very excited about and it. I'll I mean, say I think this. That- if it's funny, great, you know, then all, all is forgiven. And if I laugh a lot during it, which I kind of anticipate that I'm going to, then, then I'm okay. Because the, the second trailer came out, it had more jokes or better jokes in it. The thing about the fact that he wears the mask too, means you can constantly be ad-libbing new jokes. You don't have to yeah. reshoot it. You can just shoot him in the cab with Dopender and then just keep adding different lines that Reynolds probably gave right up until the movie goes to the theaters. In the first one, Reynolds told me that mostly everything that was said in the film was said on set. Like it was, I figured they did a ton of ADR 
and just had him go in there. And I think because I think the way they do it, he has, he has a mic right here next to his face, and then they and then he does the scene, and then they, and then they bring him back into a studio later, and then he does every scene again so they can get the eyes. The eyes slightly move. It's really kind of cool what Tim Miller did with the VFX. I remember the opening credits for the first one was yeah. so well done. That, that slow mo shot, yeah. and then like all the different people and. Um, but I also love Rob Liefeld's passion for it. Just watching him geek out about it on social media. I mean, he, I mean, he told me he, he loved the film. So yeah. I, I mean, and he's the creator of Deadpool so, and Cable, so co-creator. But um, but yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, Josh Brolin saw it. He said, you know, I I, mean, I think it's gonna be awesome. We'll All see. right. I said the Meg, and Jake hung his head um, in his hands. Jake, tell me why you hate my choice for the Meg. It looks like Jason Statham punching a giant shark in the face. And what more do you I want? At the summer I blockbuster season, I have never you been monster. one of those guys that that ju- that appreciates something like a Meg or a Snakes on the Plane. I don't get the concept of oh, it's so bad it's good kind of movies. Uh, well, Oscar um, season's coming, sir. Well, you know what I mean. Like I like it's it, every time a movie like this comes out, everyone gets really excited and they get all jacked up and they think it's going to be this movie, and then they go see it. <laughs> and they just remember that it is just, in fact, a bad movie. Right. And I feel like everyone always has these expectations. For, and, and I keep going back to Snakes on the Plane because this is what this phenomenon mostly reminds me of. That people were so jacked for this movie. And then they went and saw it. And it was just like, oh, no, it is, it's, just, it's just a really crappy Sam Jackson movie. Like, it's, right. it's, it, like the, the, the idea and the hype behind this, oh, my God, it's, it's so bad. We've got to go opening night. It's just something that I've never been able to comprehend and I've never enjoyed. I agree with you. And in a time of Sharknado, you know, where that joke is overplayed, I I feel like this one has a little bit more potential to really ramp up some big shark driven set pieces that aren't, you know, Tara Reid and a chainsaw. But actually, like Jason Statham doing some really cool stuff with a gigantic shark. So I'm I'm holding out hope. I'll probably be disappointed but at right now, the the marketing of that looks pretty spot on, and is getting me a little bit ramped up that they could be pretty funny. Yeah. So Kevin's on board. I can see it. No, Jake makes a good point though. Like, is it, it is one of those things where you get very excited about something and then you see it, and it's not it's nowhere near with the the level of what the the goofiness it was supposed to be. But that trailer is awesome. <laughs> I'm very. <laughs> I think it's it, funny. It, it looks cool. I think it's hilarious. Um, but Jake, Jake's um, best friends are Jason Statham, so I, I, I'm oh, yeah. surprised. He's not, he's he not has excited. a wonderful. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's not, he's not excited right, we, about that. For those of you that are on. listening at home, it, it, it goes back to a junket interview that was really bad between him and me. Just a just a massive, not a misunderstanding, but just a difference in who we are as people. One of us is a jerk, and one of us isn't. So Jake, uh, you're not that bad. Come on now. I know. I know. We like you. Many just would fine. disagree. Thanks. Um, we talk about Solo, and we talked about uh, Ant Man a pretty decent amount. So I want Jake to rave about Hereditary and tell me what we tell me what you know about it. I just know that I saw the trailer and it freaked me out. Yeah, uh, I, you know I'm a big fan of horror. Um, I, I grew up on the genre. I, I and I love horror movies that take a, that take chances. Um, I got to tell you, A24 has. Is, is, is it an A24 film? I think it's an A24 yeah, film. I think it is. That yeah. studio has almost become what Pixar was to me 10 to 15 years ago, where when they put out a movie, my ears perk and I go, ooh, I want to know what they're putting out. They right. put out – and I'm not saying that I love everything that they do because I'm probably 50-50 about the stuff that they do, but they take such interesting choices and they're willing to just kind of just throw it all against the wall to see what sticks. And uh, and you know, and my, my only concern I think sometimes is that – they promote 
horror movies as different than what they are. I was really excited for It Comes at Night based on, in my opinion, what they were telling me the film was going to be. And it was a different film than that. And it wasn't bad, but it was just different than what the marketing led me to believe it was going to be. Um, and I hope that that's not the case with Hereditary. I'm not expecting like an in-your-face nonstop horror. I'm not expecting it. But I would like some scares in there. And I just think it's going to be really high quality. Uh, you know, I always get nervous with horror movie buzz because people tend to get a little ex- more excited about horror. You know, and then they start throwing out the quotes and stuff. And it's the greatest horror film since The Exorcist. And like, how many times have we seen that quote? Um, but it's a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It yeah. played. It played Sundance, I believe. It Sundance. And what did it play? At you were in South. Austin. Did it South by? Uh, it, I think it was at South by. Yes, yeah. I did not see it there, unfortunately. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. But it's at a hundred percent so far. You're right. Yeah, so, and it's, it'll yeah. be such just a nice like palate cleanser from from everything that we're getting. All the Jurassic Worlds of the summer. <laughs> exactly. Um, let's get to those because for, <laughs> briefly, I want to jump to the least anticipated movies this summer. And we're not going to slam anything, but these are movies that, like, when we look at the radar, we're like, um, and I'll go first, and I'm going to stay in the horror genre, and I'm going to say the first Purge. The Purge movies, yeah, um, yeah. and people are going to kick my butt for this, I'm sure, on social media, but they don't work for me. Um, they're not horror. They're like the torture porn stuff that we went through a couple of years ago where that genre was super popular and you're just watching really uncomfortable stuff happen. And I think that the concept behind The Purge was clever when it started and I saw the first two and I have sort of given up on them. Because And even watching the trailer for the most recent one, I can't get excited yeah. about, you know, going back to the roots of this day that allows people to commit any crime that they want to. Um, that's not a horror concept to me. That's just like, let's be brutal to each other. And that that idea doesn't sell me on going to the movies. So, and you know, and, it, and it's such so frustrating because I feel like those movies, because of the premise, they have such a great opportunity to say more than what they say. Like there, there is an opportunity there to say something about who we are as a society. And right. I'd argue that the promotion, the marketing, always makes me think they're going to. To me, the marketing is always so smart on those movies, and it makes me think, oh, we're really going to get this sort of social commentary mixed with horror. And then I go see them, and they're exactly what you said. It's just, it's just like look at all the different ways in which we're killing people, and it's, it's always so frustrating because there's, there's something there. Like maybe, maybe we need to like these movies need to stop making money, and in twenty years someone comes back and start and does one with, with the potential that it has because somewhere in there is a brilliant social commentary, and to me that's what's most frustrating about that series. Um, Jake, your pick for least anticipated really surprised me. You chose. Yeah, uh, my least anticipated is The Incredibles two. Um, I, I just don't I care. I actually, I, I genuinely that. don't you care. Understand uh, the, All right. The, the trailer does nothing for me. Really? Um, okay. I, I liked the first one. I liked it just fine. I wasn't quite in the like, like championing. I like, I, I haven't woken up every day for the last 15 years waiting on the Incredibles two. Um, I wish Pixar would wipe the slate clean of sequels and start making original films again. Okay. Uh, and, and nothing about the storyline intrigues me. I just like, I just don't. I, and here's the, here's what's the thing about it. I'm sure it's going to be good. I'm sure it's going to be just fine. I'm sure when I see it, I'll like it. Right. But if something happened and for some reason or another, I missed the press screening and didn't get around to seeing it and maybe missed seeing it on Blu-ray when it came out, I wouldn't particularly care. Right, right. So th- that's it's not a, a Pixar thing. It's this, it's this story in particular. 
a little bit of both, if I'm being honest with you. I've definitely cooled off on Pixar in the way okay. that it used to be, like, you know, like I said about A24. It used to be the point where if they made a movie, I, I was like, okay, I'm sold. Whatever, I, Slap a number on, on whatever you want to do, I'm in. Um, and it's a little bit of just, like, I just, a little bit of indifference, unfortunately. It's so interesting you say that because... Like I, fe- I feel like I should be more excited about that movie. Agreed. Um, because and other because people are telling us that we should be excited about it. I know. I know. And the thing is, listen. Here's the thing: the trailer did nothing, absolutely nothing for me. Um, I think The Incredibles film is inc- is amazing. I, I love that movie. I love Pixar. Um, Wally's my favorite Pixar movie of all time. I, as Jake said, I'm sure Incredibles two will be very good. But when that trailer hits. I genuinely don't feel any excitement about going to see it. And wow. I'm going to see it, but I don't have a I don't have a want or a need for it. It was a it, it, I feel like it's either been too long or I haven't seen the original since the original came out. Oh. Uh, I never I don't think I ever really revisited the original. I, I liked it. I loved the original, but it wasn't a revisiting movie for me. I don't know if it was for Jake, but um, like the you know Wally was a, a was a movie I always revisited. Or Up or Inside Out or um, you know there there were like these I don't know the, these first ones. Um, and I think the original idea of doing an original one is awesome too. Um, it, Brad Bird, again, though. I love listen, Brad Bird. I, but I'd rather see Brad Bird go back to live action after, yes. we, saw, after we, we saw him Agreed. do with um, with uh, with uh, uh, Ghost Protocol or yeah. Road Nation, oh, No, no, Ghost no, Protocol. You're right. Protocol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I listen. It's probably going to be very great, as as Jake said. I bet you I'm going to see it and enjoy it. Um, but I don't. I don't. I wouldn't put it on my least anticipated of the year. Um, but I, I definitely don't feel the level of excitement that a lot of people do. It's uh, weird. Kevin? Like the least anticipated is a weird list because like there are yeah. movies that I'd rather see that I'm sure are going to be worse yeah. than, than Incredibles, oh, yeah. but I'd rather see them yeah. knowing full well that they're probably going to be worse than. Oh yeah. Incredibles 2 could end up in my top 10. Yeah. I have, what if it, what if it's mind blowing? It could be. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I, 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 I just based on the trailer, I don't feel but I also listen. This is kind of where I was on Solo a long t- uh, couple, uh, five, three or four months ago. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm really excited about it, um, just based on Ron Howard's excitement for it and the new trailers. Um, but I was I was going through a phase where Solo wasn't. I, I was like, eh. yeah. And now I'm really into it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a phase thing. I think I don't know. Maybe Incredibles two will pop back up in my radar and be more excited about it as July comes around. I don't know. All right, Kevin, what did you pick? Least anticipated movie of the summer for Kevin McCarthy. I don't. First of all, I had no idea this was even being done uh, until I saw it come up in my news. But why are they making an Equalizer two? I have no idea. Um, and listen, I love awesome Denzel. I mean, yeah. Man of Fire. Man of Fire is one of my favorite movies. I wish ever you had had more, more time. time. <laughs> I, said, I said that to him. I got I got wrapped in a junket one time, and I looked at Denzel. and so Denzel to wrap me. I wish we had more time. And he's sort of like dying laughing. But I did it in the, the way he said it with the pauses in between. Um, I, I don't, <laughs> he thought it was funny, thankfully. Um, or he could have been acting. But the, uh, I don't know. But the, the, I don't know, the Equalizer, first of all, wasn't even that great. It was okay. Uh, the whole Home Depot sequence, it wasn't even called Home Depot. That was cool. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I I'd rather have a original awesome Denzel role again. I mean, Man on Fire. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember all the ones that I liked that he played that type of like action role. Um, Deja Vu was whatever. I like the um, one on the yeah. train with Chris Pine. That one was pretty Unstoppable. good. Unstoppable. 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 Was cool. That was good. Um, 
I think Denzel's getting older. I don't know how many more of these action movies he can take. I just don't. I don't know. Liam Neeson camp. Why? Who? Who asked for a second equalizer? Equalizer even do that great? It did well. It did pretty well. It actually did pretty well. That's the surprising Uh, part. And he's one of the last actors that people will go see a movie if he's in it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And I will say, listen, I'm. There's, yeah, there's a couple other films, and, and but uh, yeah, that's my least interesting. All right, let's play a quick game. We're gonna we're gonna put some money down and guess what we think the highest grossing film of the summer is going to be. Not named Avengers: Infinity War because obviously uh, that movie is cleaning up. It's going to continue to clean up. It's going to dominate. What movie will come in second place to Avengers: Infinity War? I am guessing. I'm putting my money on Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. Ooh, really? I'm saying that because the first one, the most, well, the most recent one, um, went over a billion dollars. And I think that J.A. Bayona, the director of Fallen Kingdom, is infinitely better than Colin Trevorrow. So if Colin Trevorrow can, can drag a Jurassic World movie over the billion dollar mark, I think once people start to screen Fallen Kingdom, if we find out that Bayona has hit one out of the park and it's really, really good and word of mouth powers it for a little while then that could get above um, the other films that aren't named Infinity War. And it's also, it's in that kind of 4th of July slot. I think it's June 22nd. And then there's not a lot of stuff coming out on the 29th. Sicario 2 is there, Soldado. So that could play pretty well. Um, Then it has Ant-Man coming up behind it. uh, And that'll chip into its budget. But uh, again, I just think Jurassic has that kind of name recognition that that, uh, mainstream audiences will go check it out if they hear that you know, it's scary or the dinosaurs look awesome or, or, you know, we'll see, we'll see if word of mouth can power it. So that's where I'm putting my bet down. Kevin, what do you say? It's funny. I, I, when I got that question in the email from our producer, I was, I was trying to figure that out. And last night as I was flying home and I, I think I initially went with Deadpool two. And then now I'm thinking about the PG 13 on Jurassic world, how much the first one made. <gasps> I'm winning um, you over. I'm winning you over. I, I think I, I think you're right. I, I, I well, Deadpool made 783 million. I don't. If Deadpool's pacing where it is pacing, which is apparently 150 million opening weekend when the first one did a 132, um, and as big as the European tour has been for that film, I don't know that move, that movie could cross a billion. Could do really um, well. It has Solo and, right behind it. That's the only thing that I think is yeah. counting against it. That's the only thing, and and, and that and, and then that gets into a whole question of whether or not Infinity War will even come close to Avatar because Avatar had no competition right. uh, after it, and then now Avengers has like three massive films in competition, so yeah. it's going to lower the theater count. Um, I think you're right. I think it's Jurassic World. I, I really do. I think Deadpool was a was a was a was a thought because of how much it was pacing, but I think I think you're right. I think I'm going to go with what you're going with. Jake has a different pick. Jake, what do you think? I do. I think it's going to be Solo. I, th- I think Star Wars movies uh, in a race uh, sort of cheat and get to start out 10 steps ahead of everyone else. I mean, it's already uh, on pace uh, to, I mean, the pre-sales have already doubled what Black Panther did. Um, I think that uh, there's a certain comfort in, in people going to see a Star Wars movie that people just get uh, really excited. And there's something about the character of Solo that right. I think um, even the casual moviegoer, you know, will, there's something there that Rogue One didn't have. And it's just sort of that natural, like, well, like, I know who Han Solo is, so I'll go see that. I think the casual moviegoer will um, will, will still be open to it. And I, I think, uh, I, and, and, and what, what, what competition does it have in, I, what, I guess, so I guess Jurassic World is, the first big competition against Star Wars. Uh, it has Oceans um, 8, 
and it has Incredibles 2 in that window between yeah. when Fallen Kingdom comes out. So I, yeah. I can see Solo right. staying at the top of the box office for for those weeks yeah. with those films doing OK, but not necessarily challenging it. So, right. Um, let's OK. So we're going to revisit this in August. I'm writing our picks down and um, the winner is going to get um, a cash money from from producer. Gabe. Sean. Yeah, I'm a little upset with you, by the way. We, we, we've been on the air. We've been on the air for an hour. Right. And. You have just you haven't even brought up the biggest news story in in the movie world. Hit me uh, with it. In the whole, like, I, how could you have missed this story? <laughs> okay, what is it? What did I forget? Face Off is now on Netflix. Oh, what? like, what are you doing? <laughs> how how did you not mention that? Is like, this that, a that, new that, edition? It wasn't there before, and yeah, now it is. It just, it, they just added it. I watched it the other night. I've, I've seen it fifty times, and, it, <laughs> and it's so amazing. In all of your free we, time, you've watched Face man, Off. Yeah, fifty. Times. Well, I watched it forty-five times when I was in high school. So five of those have been post high school. But no, but seriously, how are you burying that lead? It's I don't know. Lead. Well, I have to tease the audience, Kevin. I got to pull them along. And there's a new John yeah. Woo called Manhunt. Apparently, that's supposed to be like classic John Woo, like hard I Dubs? think he's remaking the killer. Yes, with Lupita Nyong'o. With by the way, the killer and Hard Boiled and Better Tomorrow. If people out there listening haven't seen them. Do yourself a favor. It is those are some hardcore, awesome films. Like Chow Yun Fat back in the day, man. Placement Killers. I think John Wood produced that one too. I'm um, big into him, man. All right. Well, d- talking about John, let's we'll come back to John Wu because let's all watch Manhunt and then review it on the, on the next uh, and Face Off. Real Everyone line. watch Face Off and Face Off, of course. Yeah. Um, we had an unpopular opinion, <laughs> and yeah. I was going to skip it. I was going to skip it, or at least hold it for another another podcast. But Kevin really wants to uh, to take me to town on this one. Our producer Be- Gabe is going nuts right now because we um, <laughs> in the text chain can bounce all over the place and you never really know what we're going to start arguing about. Um, for some reason we landed on Fury Road uh, last night and I can't even remember what got us on that track. And then I mentioned to the guys that I just think, Sean, it's... are you sure you want to say this publicly? <laughs> I have no problem saying it. I've written about it on cinema blend numerous times. And I know right. that I'm in the minority where I find Mad Max Fury Road to be extremely overrated and borderline dull um and and way overrated and then the guys took me to task for it so let me just say um that part of the reason why i would like to i would like to like mad max more um and this is something where just like when when this happened it took me out of it and i could never get back into it and kevin i know that you appreciate that when something happens sometimes it ruins a movie for you and you're not able to appreciate it i always wanted to see this new mad max with George Miller directing it with Mel Gibson back as Max. And I just think that that would have been such an accomplishment to bring that character back with the actor who created him. And the recasting of Tom Hardy didn't necessarily work for me. Now I think that the physical action in the movie is fantastic, but the driving story of it um, is not compelling to me. It's just, they drive for a long time and then they realize they have to turn around and come back. And then they just turn around and they come back and That's drive not for a what long happens. time. The way you're explaining it is the way Jeff Anderson explains Lord of the Rings in Clerks <laughs> Two. It's, it's it's not it's not that simple. I agree with man. him though. I agree with it, him. It, it, well, Lord of the Rings is a masterpiece. But that being said, <laughs> yes. Die Hard just takes place in one building while he's trying to get to his wife. I mean, and the simplicity <laughs> is fine. Yeah, but Furiosa has a great story, man. Like like Furiosa's whole hope of what she's supposed to be living for and going to this place and it not existing. The devastation of that, right? Um. Oh my god! And then on top of that, the action, 
the fact that that movie even got made, that they even stood that out and made that thing, right. is just beyond me. And I, I have, and first of all, what George Miller did, and, and nothing to do, I mean, the guy was in his 80s when he made the movie, which doesn't really mean anything, but that's a really incredible accomplishment to pull that film off. It's a huge um, accomplishment. But it genuinely is one of the most incredible action films I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like that before. It blew my mind from, like, I can't even... My first viewing of that movie was so in shock that a movie like that even exists. Like, how did that even happen? And how did they convince actors to do that? in that setting for but that long. You're talking about a lot of the behind the scenes stuff of the okay. film, which in and of itself but, is really exciting, but the movie itself has to pull you in also. And the mo- this movie does. does not to me. It I doesn't. didn't know anything about the excruciating elements of the filmmaking until I sat down with the cast. Right. Um, it was, my experience with that film was a, just a, a moviegoer as I sat down and watched the movie before the interviews. Right. And it was pure, just pure incredible achievement of cinema. It was. It, I, I mean, Jake, where are you on this? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm with Kevin on this one. I think it's uh, borderline one of the best action films of the last twenty years. <laughs> ever. Um, it's one of the best action movies ever. I, you know, it's I, amazing. I, I think it's a little short sighted to to reduce it down to it. They go down a road and turn around and come back. Because right. I, I think I think Kevin's argument is is really solid. <laughs> that you could argue that Die Hard is a guy that goes into a building and crashes his wife Christmas party. Like, I mean, we could do yeah. that. I mean, that's that's like the game of explaining movies badly. Like, there's a lot more to it. And for me, it was just about this world that he created. And granted, George Miller created this world. Years ago, with uh, with the original film, but just like it, I felt like now he had the tools to fully uh, realize what he wanted to do. Uh, mm-hmm. In the same way that, like, almost the opposite of what George Lucas did, because he, uh, you know, held off making episodes one, two, and three because he didn't have the technology that he wanted to be able to tell that story, and he got the technology and then went too hard with it. Um, with this, sort of felt like this is probably what he wanted to do with the original films. And got the tools to do it, and shows. And if anything, it just made me go, God, I wish he'd had the tools to make the other three with this, especially three. It would have been really nice if. Yeah. Uh, I, know, I know there's a lot of behind the scenes drama that go that goes into uh, uh, Beyond Thunderdome, but um, but uh, yeah, just just the world that he created, uh, th- this this simplistic story in a beautiful, chaotic, frenetic world. Uh, I just think is just. I mean, and the the, the detail, the, like the small details of like who the hell is the guitar player, like just. <laughs> So many See, great the, questions. No, the, 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 stuff the, the like mythology. that. Stuff like that drives me nuts. Stuff like Why? that is such a uh, just a ridiculous look at me add on. That, no, that really does you're a ridiculous look at me add on. What else do those people like, have to do? And, like, they were like they were like they're living in the desert. Of course, they're gonna come up with like crazy like. But, but also, by the way. The Mel Gibson thing would have cheapened the whole experience for me. Why? That would have taken. No, take, I, 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 take, I agree with Sean. It, it should have been Gibson. It, it should have been no. Gibson. How, what do you? You can't say no. It, it, you Matt, can't he say is no. Mad Max. You can't say no. I. I it's a Furiosa movie. And, and I, well, I that's, that's an argument. Okay, okay, you can definitely fine, make but, that but, argument. But Mel Gibson should have been Mad Max, and I'd argue if that movie were made today, he would have been. But he's not the same Mad Max. Yeah. Is he? It, well. The it's one, not the same it? Mad Max. In theory, it's supposed to be. It's the character, isn't it? Is but aren't we taking place after those the first three? But see, I don't, th- I don't know. That's the thing. I can't. They've done tell. a really bad job of. Of I mean, not a bad job. I just don't think that like they particularly follow a super threaded storyline. But it, to me, 
it would no, have had I, much more significance and it would have had more weight to it had it and been that's old part of Mel Gibson. That's part of what it is. I don't think that movie cares to set up any kind of thing. It just drops you into a story and tries to make it look as cool as possible so that people are like, this is so cool. But they don't ever stop to think like, well, who is yeah, this but, person really? I mean, and, doesn't doesn't like the Cloverfield world kind of do it? Like, you know, they don't care about a linear thread about, you know, how oh. this thing actually went down. I will compare uh, Fury Road to the latest Cloverfield that we got. Sure. I think they're on par. Oh, the, dear God. By the way. Well, one of them's good. I think they're on par. I, I was looking this up just now. I, 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 this is something that we can get into another time. But Max's last name is not part of the cast and on, on IMDb with Mel Gibson's character, but they gave Max a last name with Rock with and Stansky. Rock and, right. Was... So I think it's a different Max. I, 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 I never got that. It. I didn't take that as that that was Mel Gibson's character. That's interesting. I thought I took that. I, I, I maybe, I'm, maybe I'm like way far off base here, but I didn't take it that way. Well, use uh, hashtag Fury Blend to let us know your yeah. thoughts on this new unpopular opinion. Because I, I do want to see if more people actually feel the way I feel. Because I feel like when that movie came out, that people got swept up in, in uh, championing that film. And I think that they're honestly, I think that there's a lot more people. I could be way off base. I think there's a lot more people who probably caught up with it after the fact and, and might fall into my camp of just like, what what the hell is going on? Why are these guys spraying I, silver stuff into their mouths and screaming about Valhalla? I was wrong. His last name was his, it was the same last name in the original film. I, so I thought it, it was. I, I so it, it was. is so is it the same person? I'm confused. I think it it's gives us no to reason to think that it wasn't. But he's younger. Yeah, it's a different well, actor. I mean, you can't do that. You can't be like, well, well I mean, it's, it's Tom Hardy. It's a different, per- I mean, and, and in, the, in the same argument, like, is Bru- is Val Kilmer a different Bruce Wayne? Batman, than- yeah. yeah. I mean, like, that's, you can't that's do that. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I, I didn't put that much yeah. thought into that. My, my argument is until he tells us, like, definitively otherwise, I'm assuming it's the same Max. Um. Let's okay. switch over to this week's game, which, again... Go. <laughs> has been one of the absolute hardest ones that I feel like we've ever had to do. Uh, we decided last week that we are going to debate the uh, the greatest score, the best score by John Williams, inspired by the fact that Jake met the man himself. And when Jake told this story, he basically said, I needed time with John Williams to say to the man, thank you for everything that you've done for the the art and industry of cinema, because most of my memories that are rooted in um, in growing up being a movie lover are connected in some way to John Williams. And the weight of that statement didn't really resonate to me until I actually started going over his filmography. You made fun uh, of me when I texted you that. I didn't necessarily make fun of you. Sometimes you're so earnest that I just like poking fun <laughs> of you. Um, but but like looking at the the work that he has done has just been it, it's it's mind blowing that you know a composer coming into the field of of film scores would kill to have one of the of the credits that John Williams has John Williams has and he just has he has countless ones. So we uh embarked on the fool's errand of choosing what we think his best one is and in 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 we had, we even had some fun on the text chain of like trying to figure out like okay how are we really how are we gauging this? Like, is it is it his most effective? Is it is it most iconic? Is it most recognizable? Uh, is it is it an individual track? Is it the entire film? So we talked about all of this stuff, and um, it, it's going to factor into our picks. Uh, Producer Gabe has told us offline that we all have different picks, which we love. Really? 
So we're going to go. Oh, he told me that. I thought he told you guys that too. Yeah, he told me that too. Yeah. Oh, See? Oh, Jake. It's a different text yeah. chain that we're all in. So which means we get to guess. That means we get to guess. So Kevin is first, according to the order. And we get to guess what we think Kevin is going to pick. Okay. So Jake. Jake. Uh, take I, a think pick. Kevin, I think Kevin chose Jaws. Hmm. I also think Kevin chose Jaws. I mean, I gave it away a couple weeks ago on our show. I, 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 I <laughs> oh, honestly, I didn't gave, remember that. I really didn't remember that. I I even already gave my reasoning for why Jaws is his best score because I think it's the it's the most natural to the environment of the story. Okay. Um, yeah. Talk about I mean, why you picked it. Talk, talk about why you picked Jaws as as it as your answer. Like, here's the thing. Uh, I think, and again, every John Williams score from Jurassic Park to E.T. to Indiana Jones to Star Wars. Um, some musically, I would I would musically give those the the go ahead in regards to the themes in those films, what they represent, uh, the the just the I don't know the beauty of the writing of those scores. I would argue are better than the one I chose. Um, the reason why I went with Jaws is because as a whole, effectively in the course of a movie, mm. um, it is a perfect, uh, aesthetic to set up the anxiety we're watching, the moments we're watching. It, it feels embedded in the movie rather than a movie score. Um, though that being said, you know, Jurassic Park and Star Wars, Star Wars is different because it starts on the crawl it's almost before the movie even starts that that theme comes in, and it's uh, it's it's weird because it, it's 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 taken on a life of its own that that score. Um, so to me, it is a bit of a it's hard to not go with that one because it is so iconic and so recognizable and so um, important to the Star Wars universe. So to me, it's it's interesting. It, it's it was a hard choice because musically, I would agree that he's written better scores than Jaws. But then on top, but then sometimes you got to think about the simplicity of things. Well, and, and I've mentioned Kevin. When you love a movie, one thing that you always say about something is that the score acts as a character. You say that often, right? If you love a movie, yeah. the you say the score. And in Jaws, the score is a character. Whenever you hear the, the score, score a, start yeah. to come the, the up, the score is the shark. You basically yeah. say, oh, my God, the score is here and it's going to kill us. <laughs> right. Well, J- yeah. J- Jake makes a great point. Like the yeah. score really is the shark. It's it's a it's something that drives fear down your spine. Like When I when I hear uh, Star Wars theme or the main theme of uh, Jurassic Park, it's it's a beautiful thing. It's like a, it's like a. I don't know how to explain the feeling I have when I hear that music, but it is beautiful. Um, Jaws to me is the most embedded in the, in the story and the the least one to take me out of the movie, even though the other ones really don't. Uh, this one to me is just, it was, it's a supporting character or a leading character that really signifies tension and it just kind of works. It almost doesn't even feel like a score. It feels like, it just feels like it's part of the world. Um, which is interesting. Like Star Wars, it feels it's a score. It's 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 a it's musically operatic. Star Wars is an opera, essentially, it's yeah. a space opera. So um, I think that he plays into what that score is supposed to mean in the Star Wars universe. So that's why I went with Jaws. Let's point out that that both Jake and I guessed it. So yeah, we're yeah. Smart. I mean, it, we're winning yeah, so you far. Guys, you guys are yeah, we're, <laughs> we're winning so far. Jake is next, which means we get to guess. And I'm going to wager that Jake chose, God, I want to say Star Wars, but I, I think he picked Jurassic Park. I think Jurassic Park is Jake's favorite, but I think he went with Star Wars um, because 
I think it's from a personal standpoint what that movie means to Jake. Right. It's hard. It, this is a hard thing to choose from because this is really where it comes down to favorite versus best. Right. Um, and in my opinion, best means how it was utilized within the film, also combined with what it was written and what it means to the story. Um, I don't know. I have a hard time believing Jake would go against Star Wars only because of how important that it's theme so is. It's so important to him. It's yeah. True. yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if Jake was able to separate that. Yeah, as, you know as what? As I'm wondering. You know what? I love sitting here just listening to you guys I'm talk about it. This is, this is I'm going to go. I, I am also going to go. Star. I, it's also because like Star Wars is the answer. Like if we're really picking, you know, if we're splitting really, hairs, yeah. Star musically Wars is the, the answer. answer. Musically is yeah. the answer, but but like you, we can yeah. all make arguments personally as to why it might not be the answer. But I think I think Jake probably landed on Star Wars. Like I, I hear the score when I do this. <laughs> like I literally I hear I hear it when I see. Yeah. All right, Jake, go. Uh, I chose Star Wars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. But it, uh, you know, here's the deal. I, I also feel like uh, I, I'm cheating a little bit, and and the reason I chose Star Wars is because. It's so much more than just one piece of music, and I and I don't mean to say that in the, to discredit something like Jaws or something like Indiana Jones or even something like Jurassic Park. But whenever you say that Indiana Jones is your favorite John Williams piece, automatically I go da 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 da. Or if I hear oh Jaws is my favorite piece of John Williams music, I hear a dun 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 dun. But if I were to say Star Wars is my favorite piece of music, you have to go which piece. Because there are yep. so many incredible, like from the opening crawl to Binary Sons, which is probably my favorite single piece of his, to uh, the Imperial March, which doesn't show up till Empire, to Leia's theme. Uh, even though the, sequ- the the prequels weren't great, each like Duel of Fates was was genius. That's um, a great score. The 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 score from Attack of the Clones. I, I can't think of what it's. <laughs> I think it's like Star Cross Lovers or something like that. Um, the, the, the fight between Anakin and Obi-Wan in episode three, Ray's theme, uh, in episode yeah, Ray's seven. Ray's theme is great. I mean, Ray's it's, theme's it's amazing. Tr- it's yeah. truly fancy. So the fact that one movie has not just one, and if we want to reduce it down to one film, then I'll reduce it down to A New Hope. And, but even just within A New Hope, there are so many individual pieces of music that for any one composer would be their masterpiece. But the fact that it's not just only in his career that all of these came out. But in the Ugh. course of a two-hour film, I, I had a hard time. And like I said, I'm cheating because I'm, I'm picking all the pieces of music from one film and if you know potentially on how we want to judge it from a, from a franchise. I just don't see how you pick anything other than Star Wars. Yeah, it's hard I mean, to it's argue. A, it's, a, it's a great point. I mean, it, it is. It's, it's one of those tough ones, man. It, it, cause it, but when you break it down over uh, eight films or whatever, it, it, it is an interesting perspective to think about all the different themes. Ray's theme is one of my, actually one of my right. favorite themes How he ever wrote. I would actually... But even if you just do one film, of, even, in the, even just in A New Hope, there are four to five genius The Duel, Duel of Fates is one of my favorite Star Wars themes ever. How is this man such a genius? Can we just That's a good point. I like... You know, I and granted, by no means am I trying to say that like I could ever do anything that Spielberg does. But like, we're all in the 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 job of telling stories, whether it's you know a new story or writing a feature piece or putting a package together or writing mm-hmm. an article. So I understand the concept of what Spielberg does on a daily basis, not to the level that he does, but I understand the concept of telling a story. I don't get how someone like John Williams does what he does. I don't understand. His process, and that's why he right. like one of the reasons I think just he is so mythical to me because I can't wrap my brain around just coming up with music, right? And different music, yep. something that stands yeah. apart 
time and time again. All right, I'm up, uh, and you guys get to guess. Huh. I think I'm going to guess. I think I know what it is. And only because I'm, but I'm also going to cheat, and it's only because of reading your reaction whenever I talked about the John Williams concert. So I'm going to let Kevin go first. Mm. I'm going to go with ET. Mm. Oh, that's a good point too. I'm going to say Superman. Mm. Mm. Um, I it's Superman, uh, and yeah, I probably took. But just my hand. because you flipped out whenever I mentioned that that was his encore. Well, but so that's where we're getting into favorite and best, right? Like this was like it's my favorite um, because it's so iconic. Uh, and, and it's, it's, it's that the musical bed of the, the trumpet playing the, like you just, it it sends chills down my spine to hear it every single time I want to hear it. But, but I almost didn't go with it because of what you were talking about, which is making a choice that sets an entire landscape, um, of different sounds and music that you instantly associate with a, with a, uh, film. And so I almost went Harry Potter. I had Harry Potter oh, for the wow. longest time because mm. I think that what is now I've, I've learned is Hagrid's theme because I didn't even know that that was the main drive. The, of... the do, 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 do. Yeah, really? Like, and I didn't know that. That's know that Hag- it's called Hagrid's theme. And that's the one that repeats all throughout. But then like there are other pieces of music in the Harry Potter catalog. Oh, I forgot he did that. I that when you he hear that. Yeah, people sleep on Harry Potter. People that, that, that doesn't rank up there. But but like once you listen to it, the the instruments that he chooses for Harry Potter, and I'm selling a choice that I didn't make. Um, <laughs> they sell they sell the the magic landscape. They sell the the dread that comes with you know the Voldemort music or the the dark arts professors and and then and then and then what Williams did in each of the different Harry Potter films is he changed it. Like when you get to Azkaban, he changes the 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 tone of the music to still be the the theme, but to match what Quran wants to do, and then he. Yeah. Changes it to fit what Christopher Columbus wants to do. All of that's great. That's probably why I started to go with it. But Superman, Superman to me is is on par with Star Wars in that as soon as you hear it, it just brings you right to the character and the world. And this is before we were in the glut of superhero films, you know, every other week. And he needed to figure out a way musically um, to convince you that you were going to go on a ride with this unique character that we hadn't seen on screen before. Like the tagline, you will believe a man could fly, right? Like, I don't think that that Richard Donner is able to sell the idea of Superman without John Williams' score. Uh, that score makes you believe that you're watching this person, this character, not Henry Cavill's Superman, who's been, you know, decimated by Snyder, unfortunately. No. This is symbol of hope and optimism. I know you do. I, I like it too. It's fine, but it's not, it's not uh John Williams. And so to me, I had to go with, I still, it's my favorite. I also think it's his best. I went with Superman and uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. I will say my, my choice is a bit hypocritical uh, oh. to what I natu- what I fully believe in film scores, by the way, my, cause my full, my full belief on a film score is the beauty of a film score is it, it it's, it's amazing in the film and it's also an incredible listen outside of the movie. Um, Jaws is probably not a great outside listen because it works so well within the environment. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Um, it kind of goes against how I feel naturally about scores in general. But just based on um, the, what he created with Jaws and what he was able to do with Jaws, that's why I think it's his best. But it's interesting because it kind of goes against what I naturally feel about a great score is when you can listen to it outside of the movie. Right. Um, and uh, I don't know if Jaws necessarily is a oh. great outside film. Um, but, like, you know, listening to, like, 
I mean, I, I, I listen to Howard Shore's Lord of the Rings score off uh, off the film. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. But yeah, I, I think musically what he did as a film composer, I think Jaws is his best. Soon we'll do Zimmer, and I'm going to reduce Kevin to a pile oh, of man. ash. Wow. <laughs> Kevin, do you, do you Zim- prefer Zimmer over Williams? Per, me personally? Yeah. I mean, what? I... It's interesting. Are you asking me if I think he's better than Williams or I prefer him? Well, both. Let's say both. I don't think he's better than John Williams, but I prefer Hans Zimmer's music. Yes, in in uh, just I don't know. It's, I, 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 I can't. Th- I can't. Answer I, that I right mean, now. I'd argue like th- I'd probably say that Zimmer is maybe a little bit easier to list to like put on casually. Like if you're gonna listen to it like on the train on your way to work, Zimmer, yeah, it's a little bit of an easier listen. Um, but I think but, what he has achieved is significantly uh, lesser than what Oh, he yeah. Um, I, For sure. I, I mean, his, it, his Dark Knight theme is a masterpiece. I called it Hedwig's, uh, Hagrid's theme. It's Hedwig's theme. I screwed okay. it up. Oh, the, and, who and, was the owl? And the Harry Potter fans, I'm sure, gotcha. are lining up outside my front door with uh, with torches. Um, the Azkaban's pick, the best. Azkaban's the best. Well, that's the best Harry Potter film. Truthfully, yeah. I mean, no question. It's yeah, the best true. of them all. Uh, audience pick the winner for people who played along at uh, hashtag Williams Blend. They went with Star Wars, and uh, listen, they're not wrong. But um, makes sense. Yeah, and runners up were Jurassic Park, Harry Potter, and Indiana Jones, all very close second. So Jurassic Park's my favorite. That's my favorite of his. Jurassic Park's great. It's such a great theme. It really is. It is. It's it, uh, Jaws was an interesting choice for me because it goes against kind of what I love about film scores in general. But but, I, but I also Twitter get it. That's, that's the thing is that I also get it. Set, it sets tone. <coughs> that's why I liked it. Someone on Twitter recommended "Catch Me If You Can," which is also a that's great a great score. score. Also, yeah, uh, great an underrated score of his, and it's sort of similar to "Catch Me If You Can," um, but it's score for the Terminal. Oh yeah, that is actually really good. It's light. It's bouncy. Like it's a very fun. Speaking of Tom Hanks, I watched on one of the cable channels the other day the the crash scene in Castaway, uh, and oh, I was God. when it ended, I was I had oh, I actually yeah. went like yeah. this. I went oh, like I didn't realize <laughs> how totally tense I was. Yeah. And I, mean, I made a mistake watching that on a plane recently. That's not a good idea. <laughs> and, that, the, that, that, and, and, and doesn't it get you because <laughs> he it has isn't he like peeling off a band aid? So yes. it has you as an audience focused on like what's happening with a band aid. And yeah. then the plane goes down. Yeah, it happens. It's so been a while since I've too. seen it. Oh, that scene is so great. Nuts, man! That yeah. scene is so crazy. All right, your oh ha- uh, homework for next week. Uh, I t- I told Jake this that I'm changing the rules of the game a little bit, but it's inspired by Kevin because um, well, all three of us huh. we all contribute to the show. Um, I'm doing uh, hashtag Godfather blend. So Ooh. if you watch oh. Kevin's Twitter feed, um, he spoke to. Diane Keaton and Andy Garcia about which Godfather film is the is the best one. Great question. And great. I'm not question. gonna. It's a Thank tremendous you. question, and their answers are great. Um, and I kind of know Kevin where Kevin's going with it. He's already given yeah. his answer, uh, but I want him to be able to go into depth about it in the podcast next week. Well, he has a little bit more time, not not under the junket lights, to elaborate depth on his choice. And uh, Jake and I are also going to weigh in on which one is better uh, of the three. So hashtag Godfather blend next week. And that I think is, is there also anybody going who to... thinks three is the best. Yeah. If Nobody you think three is the best, yeah. you get to come on as a guest. <laughs> is, next is there week. anybody who thinks three? Yeah. You Let us know. Let us yeah. know. And we'll have a guest. Even Andy Garcia doesn't know. <laughs> but like, not, not like in like a, so oh, I want to be cool and I want to be different from everyone else. Right. So I pick three. If you genuinely think that three is the best, let us know. And I think we can find a way to try to get you 
somehow in the, in this podcast. I'm this saying it, and, us... and Gabe is having a meltdown as I'm as I'm volunteering all these things that he will then have to go do. <laughs> this will allow us going forward to do um, hashtag Terminator blend, which I know will be a really good one. Uh, hashtag Alien blend. Oh, I like Which I know is gonna really, yeah. Like we're gonna we're gonna open up a little bit. It can't always be filmmakers and actors. So next next week, hashtag Godfather Blend. So uh, one of the most underrated scores in the history of movies is the T two score. Dun dun like, dun, gotta, dun dun. That's dun, true. Dun, that is really true. Dun, dun, and and in twenty twenty five. We're going to do hashtag avatar blend and debate which of the five are, uh, are the best. Oh, so God. tune in then, uh, Jake, where can they find, uh, where can our listeners for real blend find you on social media, please? Uh, at Jake's takes on both Twitter and Instagram. Kevin, where can they find you on social media? At Ant-Man and Fury Road are awesome. <laughs> See, I look forward to your answer on that now every time, too. And I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell. We are all at uh, underscore real or at Real Blend on Twitter. So follow us there. Drop us a review on iTunes. It means a lot. It helps us grow the show. Um, put us a, put a review. Give a star rating there. Tune in next week. Uh, the boys are going to be traveling some. They're going to... Uh, solo and they're going to Deadpool and they're going to be pretty busy but we'll pick a date we'll let you guys know on social media so in the meantime if you watched us on Facebook thank you so much for tuning Jesus in Christ. Uh, if you are downloading us on our your podcast apps we really appreciate it and we will be back next week talk to you guys then boys Dunkirk, Dunkirk. <laughs> I love it this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.